Oh, God, we thank you for every father that is here today. And Lord, we, we cannot and should not ever underestimate uh, the role of fatherhood on our planet, Lord. And so today, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would not only teach us a little bit more about what it means to be a father and heal us in the places uh, where we've been wounded around this area, but Lord, that you would actually empower us and give us more grace to be the kind of dads and the kind of children that you've created us to be. Amen. All right, I'm gonna share a, a photo with you guys. All right, I wanna see if you recognize anybody in this picture. Does anyone recognize anybody in this picture? All right, uh, this person over to what is my left in the orange t-shirt with the glasses, that is me as a freshman in high school. All right, and uh, I point that out because you would not look at that guy there and say, wow, he must be a great basketball player, right? You would not look at him. So when I was a, a, a freshman in high school, I was 411 and 89 pounds. And I loved basketball. My, my dad loved basketball. And um, so I joined the basketball team. And uh, you, you couldn't see it there. That was my tennis photo. But in my basketball photo, my jersey hangs down below my knees. So it looked like I was wearing a really short skirt out on the basketball court. And, uh, and because of my size, um, I, I had a tendency to sit pretty far down on the bench uh, during our games. In fact, the only time I ever got to play in a game was usually at the very end, and we were usually about 20 points ahead before our coach uh, would put us in. And I, I did that. I grew maybe three or four inches by my sophomore year. Um, so I was maybe the size of moon by my soft, sophomore year. Um, but for whatever reason, God decided to not let me have my growth spurt uh, till towards the end of high school. So I, I never really got the chance to play uh, basketball um, in any sort of significant position, even though in our small town, uh, like many small towns, the, the sports heroes in high school uh, are kind of the hometown heroes. And so I had, a, I had a real desire to be this amazing basketball player, um, but I wasn't. And, uh, and yet, I was just thinking about this recently. Every single game I ever played, my dad was there in the stands waiting the entire game just so he could be there if I got in for two or three minutes. And I remember even one game where I forgot my socks, my basketball socks. And so I had to wear like these gray dress socks. So I'm in gray dress socks. I have my Kurt Rambis sports goggles on. They didn't 
look cool like my son's sports goggles back in the day. And I uh, got in, got fouled, and made two free throws. And on the ride home that day, my dad talked about those two free throws as if I had just won a basketball championship. And, you know, there were two things that my dad was, was doing by showing up to all those games. Number one, he was showing me that I had value. And number two, he was showing me his values. And a lot of those values, that value of showing up, that value of loyalty, he modeled that so well for me all of my life that I do that pretty much like breathing now. There's a lot of things I struggle with, but one of the things that's um, deeply embedded in me is showing up for my friends and being loyal to people. And I, and I got that, I got that from my dad. Um, my dad uh, knew I was good at soccer and uh, when you play soccer, you don't have to be tall. Um, and, and so I was a decent soccer player, uh, but we didn't have a high school soccer team when I was uh, uh, in eighth grade, about to become a, a freshman in high school. And so my dad went out and he uh, helped organize and start the first high school soccer team of our hometown. And, uh, and once again, I got that from my dad. So if you know anything about me, um, a lot of times if, if I see a problem, <laughs> I just automatically try to get a team together and, and go after it and, and see if we can figure out and do something about that. That didn't originate with me. I, I learned that from my dad, that, that there was almost like no other way I know of doing things because we get things from our father. We're, we, we've been in, in the book of John and we've been going through the book of John and we've been sort of talking about this idea of Jesus having what is called a, what we've been calling the born again strategy. This idea that uh, we must be born again, that God doesn't hate the world, he loves the world. He's not here to destroy the world, but he is here to make it new, um, to have it be born again. Well, we're about to enter into kind of another section of John. And I think this section of John, if, if I were to kind of define what I see it being about, it's about source. And what do I mean by source? Well, like I just shared with you um, in the story of my dad, a lot of the source of my values and even my sense of value comes from my father. Uh, there's a, a guy named Lawrence Lessing, and he has created an organization called Root Striker. And the whole point of Root Striker is that the problem in the United States right now is that there's too much money in government. And so he says, if you want to change government, you have to get at the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is the money. So if we can get rid of the money issue in politics, where people uh, have a tendency to favor the policies of those that are helping fund their reelection campaigns, then you have to have campaign finance laws. His point is, if you want to solve the problem, you've got to go 
to the root of the problem. If you want to get to the, the, the heart of the problem, you go to its source, right? Um, and just think about it. When there's a salmonella outbreak, what do they do? They trace it back to the, a lot of times they can tell you the exact factory where the salmonella originated from. And any of us who've been in any sort of therapy, uh, whether professional or amateur, uh, know that uh, at some point when you are finding uh, uh, negative behavior patterns in your life, things that you're struggling with, either your self-image or things that you, you, you feel like you're just always doing and you can't seem to stop, eventually someone's gonna get around and ask you, why don't you tell me about your mom and your dad? It's because so much of who we are comes from our parents, both the good and the bad. And in fact, I think that is partially why God so much commands us to honor our father and our mother, because uh, to honor our father and mother in one sense is to honor where we came from. It is a way of uh, kind of honoring ourselves. So to to dishonor our parents has a negative impact on our own self-image. Now, I want to I wanna kind of have a caveat here. Some of us had parents that were wicked, right? Some of us had parents that were abusive. Some of us had parents that were neglectful and didn't behave the way a parent was supposed to behave, right? And that was their choice but that doesn't negate the fact that many of the good things that you have in your life were the things that god put in your parents were the promises and the inheritance he put in your parents and therefore were passed on to you so even though people can have a, a good inheritance and have good traits and, and inherent talents and callings on their life, um, they can make choices uh, to use those for uh, wickedness. And, um, and so sometimes when we start talking about moms and dads, there's a tremendous amount of hurt and pain and woundedness that impacts us even to this day. And I was even thinking about what we're going through right now as a country, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we all showed up at a march and uh, we have been uh, really pushing to make finally black lives matter in our country. But if you look at the source of that problem, you can go right back to our country's dad, right? George Washington was a decent guy he really believed in some really powerful values of self-government, so much so that when they wanted to kind of make him a king, he said, no, we're not gonna have a king. I'll do two terms and no more. Um, he believed deeply in a government for the people, by the people, um, and that there should always be a transference of power. And that inheritance for our country has been very beneficial to, to almost all of us, except for the African slaves that were brought over here 
that George Washington owned and did not uh, set free until he died, right? Um, so we, we see even the father of our country, though he had good things about him, there were some very bad things about them, him. There were some things that he didn't address. There's some things our founding fathers didn't address. And those things we live with even today in this country. And so it's the same with us, and it's the same with any, anything that is birthed by a person, that we get the good and the bad from it. And so today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about um, both the good and the bad that we got from our parents. I want to talk about why so often our relationship with our parents is difficult. And then I want to look at uh, the, our text today to find out how to heal that relationship. So first of all, I, I just want to jump into the fact that um, even though God uses multiple metaphors for the ways that Christ is the source for us. You know, Jesus is described as the Lamb of God. Um, he is described as living water. Um, later on in John, he'll be described as the bread of life, manna that comes from heaven. But I would say that one of the most powerful and the most prominent metaphors that God has for reconciliation, that God has for relationship, is this idea of father and son, right? We see it in the actual Godhead, right? God the Father, God the Son. And then we are allowed to have the spirit of adoption through the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, right? Um, and this is a universal dynamic that all of us can relate to. Uh, some of us will never relate to uh, the marriage metaphor of Jesus and the church because God will have called us to a life of singleness. Um, but, but all of us have been born. If you're here, you at some point had a biological mother and a biological father. And so right from the very beginning, before God even created the heavens and the earth, there was this dynamic of father and son. In the book of Malachi, and if you want to pull that up right now, Jonathan, um, it, it reads this. Is it up? This is the last chapter of the Old Testament. For behold, the day is coming, burning light like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that he commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet 
before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so we see that this is absolutely important. This relationship between fathers and sons and sons and fathers is something that absolutely has to be healed in order for there to be healing on the earth. Father's Day is a day uh, that is so important in, in us understanding where the war is. You know, it's interesting when you look at the statistics for fatherlessness, and here I'll, I'll share this with you guys real quick. Um, just how detrimental it is when someone doesn't even just doesn't have a dad never mind whether the dad was good or not so you guys can see these statistics all right they're four times greater risk of poverty uh girls are seven times more likely to become pregnant uh more likely to have behavioral problems more likely to face abuse and neglect two times greater risk of infant mortality more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. And uh, I don't know if you guys can see at the bottom there, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, and two times more likely to drop out of high school. All right, so this is, this is where the war is. And in fact, in, in uh, the book of Ephesians, um, and Jonathan, you can just pop that up so people can take a look at it. I'm not going to read it. But in the book of Ephesians, what's really interesting is right after it describes uh, the relationship between parents and children and uh, slaves and masters and, or, or servants and masters. Uh, slaves back then were more like servants than the slavery of, of, of the South. Um, right after... I'm not sure all, we can hear you, Scott. You can't hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, you're good. Keep going. Okay. Um, so that uh, right after all these, and keep going, Jonathan. Um, right after you see all these verses about um, uh, obeying authority in your life, you, you see this right here. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like Paul understands that the battle is right here, right here. That the, 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 that the place of spiritual battle is in the place where you have a relationship between uh, masters and servants and parents and children. And so today I want to kind of take a look at why that is and what's going on with that. Um, and, and what I would say is uh, the main reason this is difficult is because anytime there's an authority dynamic in this world, 
it's going to be rife with conflict because the selfish human heart always wants to have it our way, right? And so what happens is anytime you have someone who's in authority over somebody who has some sort of say over that person, you're going to end up with a power dynamic. And so I don't know about you, but on my Facebook uh, news feed lately, I've been seeing a lot of interactions between police and African-Americans. And I just saw one recently that really, really kind of was very disturbing, but I think really uh, helps us take a look at today's text. Jonathan, can you pull up today's text from John 5? So what we have is we have Jesus here. He is, um, he has just healed the guy uh, on the Sabbath. Um, and it says, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. And then what we see they want to do is they want to kill Jesus immediately after that. Jonathan, can you move it to the next verse, please? And so um, what we, Jesus says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so what you have going on here is you have a Jesus coming to a man, healing him on the Sabbath and telling him, take up your mat and walk which was an act of civil disobedience against the rules of the Pharisees. And so what's happening here is we have a power struggle. And, and, and we see this a lot of times in the interaction of police with African-Americans. And so when I was watching this video, what I saw was the police walked up to a guy who was picking up garbage in front of his dorm. It was like his campus housing. All right. And I think it was maybe like an apartment complex, but it was for college students. And the police said, basically, this white police officer told this black guy who's out picking up garbage. I uh, can I see some ID. I want to make sure that uh, you belong here because we we had a, a call or something. Well, what's happening here is the police is coming into this guy's home, all right? And so this is invasive, all right? I, I want us to think about this because a lot of times we, we, we expect African-Americans to be so super respectful when they talk to the police, but a lot of times we forget the context of what is going on. Imagine standing in your front yard and having a police officer ask you, what are you doing there? Assuming that you don't belong there, right? And so what is happening in that interaction is the police are not honoring the ownership and the agency of this young man. And so, of course, that is offensive. Whenever somebody steps into your space and asserts authority where they really don't have the right to assert their authority, you do not have the right to assert your authority 
uh, over me in my house, in my front yard. That is not your job description as a police officer. Your job description as a police officer is to serve and protect me. And so what you see is this guy basically telling the police officer exactly that. He says, I live here. And the guy said, can I see some ID? Can you prove which apartment you live in? And he hands him a student ID and he says, this doesn't have your address on it. Can I see your address? And the guy gets completely irate. He's like, why are you bothering me? And then the police goes on to say, please put down that weapon. He has a garbage picker. It's not even a, a, a point at the end. It's, it, it grabs, right? And the police starts um, asserting his authority, his abusive authority, his unwelcome authority, his inappropriate authority on this American. And he is rightly upset with it. And he says, I am not going to comply with this. Well, as soon as he confronts the police officer's authority, the police officer feels that his authority is being dishonored. And so he rises up and he calls back up and there's like four or five police cars that show up and there's this showdown going down. And it's not until a white faculty member shows up who they they don't mess with in any way. They don't ask for his ID. They don't ask for his address. And says, this guy is with us. And he talks him down and he says, just give him what he needs and we'll deal with it later. And what happened in that interaction was in order to diffuse the interaction, they appealed to a higher authority. And eventually, the higher authorities, the bosses of that police officer fired him uh, because he, he, he uh, broke protocol in that situation. Well, that's very much what is going on in this interaction with Jesus. Jesus is confronting the Pharisees about these invasive rules that they have on the Sabbath, these rules that they're heaping up on everybody else, and they get into a power um, uh, battle, right? And, and so whenever you're in a power struggle, the way out is usually to go to a higher authority. And that's what Jesus is going to do. Jonathan, can you bring up the, the next part of the text? So Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Let's keep going, Jonathan. We'll read the whole thing. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. That all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, 
but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is appealing to an, a, a higher authority. Jesus is saying that, um, you know what? If we're in a power struggle, then we, we, gotta, we gotta escalate it to the higher authority. And Jesus points to the fact that, that his higher authority, the higher authority that he is working in is, is God the Father. And, and what's interesting about this language that, that Jesus is using is it's, it's very revolutionary language for Jewish folks. You see, um, in the past, the, the concept of God as father was more as God as the father of Israel. All right? And so you, your uh, sonship of God the Father was contingent on you being part of Israel. But Jesus is taking it to a whole nother level here. What Jesus is doing here is he is, he is basically saying that I and the Father are one. He is speaking about such a powerful and intimate father-son dynamic uh, that the two are actually almost interchangeable, right? And this has huge implications for us today. What this means is that in Christ, we can be, we can have a new father. We can have a new dad. We can have a new source, right? And so I just want to kind of break down uh, what this new source gives us in the Father, but not only what it gives us, but how we can go about activating it, all right? So the, the, first, the first point that I wanna make is that, is that in order to, to kind of activate this idea of, of, of having a new source, you have to acknowledge that there is a higher authority. All right, so let, let's just think about what's happening here. So we've got Jesus, he shows up, he's on the scene, he's healing people, he's talking about being born again, he's kicking people out of the temple, he tells a guy to be healed, take up his mat and walk, and the Pharisees are coming out against that, all right? Why is that happening? 
It's happening because the Pharisees see themselves as the highest authority. And they don't see Jesus as an authority higher than them. All right? Now, all of us in our father-son interactions uh, can end up very wounded if we do not understand this one principle that you have a higher authority and that higher authority is God and God loves you. Right? And so what happens a lot of times is we walk around with a wound from our father. Our dad said something to us. Our dad didn't do something for us. He let us down in some certain way. And there's a wound there. And fathers, we can have son wounds too. Our kids didn't respect us in a certain way. They didn't acknowledge what we did for them, etc. And so in the father-son dynamic, there's all this woundedness. But when Jesus comes, he points to a perfect relationship between a father and a son. And he points to the fact that there is a perfect father that's the highest authority over all of us. And see, that's the problem always uh, with, with these kind of folks, right? They don't want to acknowledge that there is a higher authority than them. And they won't admit and won't then walk in the fact that that higher authority is there because he loves you. So this was Pharaoh's problem. When God showed up, God showed up as a higher authority, a higher authority that would have taken care of Pharaoh, that would have taken care of Egypt, that would have loved them. But he couldn't admit that he wasn't the highest authority. And so because he couldn't acknowledge God as the higher authority, he felt disrespected. He felt slighted. And it's the same with Herod. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, but Herod is threatened, so he puts to death every two-year-old and younger in Bethlehem because he's afraid of the kingdom of God when the reality is that God would have loved Herod too. And we do the same thing. And so what I want to speak to you today about is that those times that you feel disrespected, those times you've been wounded by authority, those wounds that you have, sometimes you can just let them go if you will just acknowledge there is a higher authority than you. You don't need to have a perfect dad. Your dad doesn't need to be perfect. He never was supposed to be perfect. You have a perfect dad. He's your father in heaven, and he loves you, and he has what's right for you. Your earthly father, no matter how perfect he is, cannot live up to your heavenly father. And until you can acknowledge that, you can't a lot of times let go of those wounds because you're trying to get an earthly person, a Pharaoh, somebody that's a sinful being to fix you. And they can't. Only the heavenly father can fix you. And dads, I need to speak to you. It's, it's the same thing for you. Your sons and your daughters are not perfect and either are you and so when your son or your daughter notices something wrong with you or disrespects you or doesn't obey you and does so because you've fallen short in some area instead of rising up in that 
I'm preaching to myself now. You can just acknowledge I'm not perfect. There is a perfect dad that can take care of my children. And my main job is to disciple my children. I'm supposed to love them and father them as best I can. But my main job is to point them towards the father that is perfect. The other thing that we have to understand if we're going to be healed in our father-son relationships is any authority you have over anyone else or any authority anyone else has over you is delegated authority. It isn't the highest authority. You're not the highest authority and the person over you is not the highest authority. Only God is the highest authority. The third thing that we have to remember if we want to be healed in our father-son relationships is that honor is part of the healing. God created authority to have honor. God created all of us in his image. And so when we honor our father and mother or when we honor a police officer or when we honor those that are under us and respect them and respect their boundaries. We really are not just honoring them, we're honoring ourselves. We're honoring the fact that they were made in the image of God and so are we. And so when we, when we honor each other, we protect that self-image. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Right? So Jesus is, what you see in this relationship between Jesus and God is this perfect amount of honor. That the Father honors the Son and the Son honors the Father. That they respect who they are. And so when, when we, when we, do the same, we make a right relationship. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So what we see there is that, that Jesus uh, is talking about just how intimate him and the Father are. The intimacy is the born-again strategy. It's, it's an inside-out strategy, all right? Um, the old paradigm is you're part of Israel, so you're a son. The new paradigm is you are born again and you are a son and therefore part of the nation. And what Jesus says is his relationship is so close with God that he only does what the father is doing. 
Jesus is perfectly submitted to his Father. And because of that, then the Father entrusts the Son. Later on, it says that basically Jesus is, is pointing out the fact that God has given me the right to make my own judgments, right? So he has gotten to the point where he's only doing what the Father is doing, but because of that perfect submission, he, he is entrusted by God to make decisions for God. And this is, this is the incredible, great work of reconciliation that we can now have as believers. That as we learn to walk in trust and submission to God, doing only what the Father is doing, we too have the same ministry of Jesus, right? And so what I want to urge us today is this. Today, if you will choose to, you can have a new dad. Today, if you will choose to, you can have a new father. Today, if you will choose to say, God, I want to obey your word and do what you want me to do and begin to walk in that, you, you can enter into this perfect relationship of a father and a son. And out of that relationship, then, you can be a great father. And you can be a great son. So that we, too, can go into the world and, like Elijah, Turn the hearts of fathers to the hearts of children and hearts of children to the hearts of fathers so that everybody might have new life.